So before we had gotten to usul, we had begun to ask about doctrine, and you had begun to expound, expound upon that, but we uh, went back to usul. So now that we have covered usul, we have covered the Senate. We haven't covered the founder, but the biography of Imam Ahmad is everywhere. So if people want to hear that, we don't need to, to, to uh, review it unless it touches upon you know one of these chapters. Since he is the founder of the madhab, and maybe there is a story, an incident, a principle that he established that truly penetrated through time. Well, one of those that you mentioned was, of course, his uh, distaste, or you could say disallowance, of kalam. Could you first just define for us how he understood Kalam? Well, Kalam during the time of Imam Ahmad was basically rational theology, speculative theology. It was basically theology that is uh, based on um, Kalam, which is ratiocination or rationalization. Uh, a theology to Imam Ahmad had to be established only for in the, from the Quran and the Sunnah. Um, but then he allowed a, uh, what what he called kalam. He said uh, he even favored this over uh, personal ibadah. Uh, but it, it is it, he said that if we don't speak, that they will propagate their falsehood. So we must speak. So in other sense, uh, he said that the kalam basically defending the aqidah. Uh, kalam is apologetics. Kalam is, is more apologetics than doctrine. Read the shubuhat. Yeah. Yeah. So if if you don't want to defend the aqidah, then you uh, you do not uh, like people will spread falsehood and so on. So he accepted Kalam uh, in a sort of a two-tiered system where you establish Aqidah within our hermeneutical system through our uh, basically tools of interpretation from the Quran and the Sunnah and then once this has been sort of crystallized and clear uh, then you take this and you defend it uh, and in this case, you could defend it with kalam, with rational metaphysics or rational theology. Okay, now, oftentimes you see these apologetics and people utilizing this, you know, r- rational arguments to dismantle, let's say, the Trinity. Okay. Uh, someone may then say, okay, now you, you, you establish certain rational principles to dismantle this trinity. All right, you got me. I'm one of you now. I'm a Muslim now. Uh, what happened to those principles then, right? Why don't they apply any longer, those rational principles, if we were, if I was to enter the doctrine of the Muslims? So that's where I tend to find, uh, you know, a conflict or a challenge uh, in terms of utilizing mantiq for refutation, especially of the trinity, but then sort of kicking that or throwing that tool aside and saying, forget it now, we have nusus and that's it. Do you see where I'm coming from? That uh, that we have, we just use our, our Quranic verses and our hadiths for ourselves, but when it comes down to taking down another thought, dismantling another thought, we rely upon mantiq. Could you expound upon that 
seeming it seems to be a type of conflict like you want to use this principles to tear down the trinity for example or to debunk it but then in our own theology those concepts are not present okay well you know if if you use particular concepts or particular philosophical principles uh, to defend the religion uh, the idea here when you invite people to the religion when you invite people to god uh, I think that the place of reason or the office of reason uh, takes priority because if someone does not accept uh, the authority of the Qur'an, you can't tell them the Qur'an says such and such, they don't accept the authority of the Qur'an. So the authority uh, here is uh, that of reason, so you will have to basically uh, use uh, rational arguments to convince them once they arrive uh, and now like like when you arrive at the door of the king you leave your uh, horse or mule or donkey outside the door and you come yeah. in barefooted uh, and then when you walk into the presence of the king then you listen yeah. uh, if I come to you with a message from the king uh, I need to establish that this is from the king. When you arrive in their presence, uh, you know, the presence of the king of the king, then you need to listen and obey. Now, even when, uh, you know, but, but this does not mean, uh, and, and I understand that we're trying to talk about you know, the, the balance between uh, reason and revelation and this does not mean that we will uh, turn reason off because in our hermeneutical system uh, we rely a lot on contextuality and intertextuality. We have to check, you know, the different reconciliation between different texts, you know, um, and the context of the revelation and all of that. Uh, so a, uh, a system of hermeneutics that relies this much on contextuality and intertextuality will not want you to turn it off, uh, mm -hmm. but it will it would want you to not contest the, the sort of the definitive proofs of revelation uh, by sort of rational uh, sort of arguments. Uh, now, where, how can we establish the balance? That is the whole discourse between, of course, yeah. you know, the universal law and or harmony between reason and revelation. Mm -hmm. And I believe that, uh, you know, the, the definitive, uh, whether it is, you know, the binary is not between reason and, and revelation. The binary is between definitive and speculative. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is that is definitive, we take it, whether it is from reason or revelation, uh, and we prioritize it over the speculative. And when you have conflict between speculative and speculative, then uh, you, you have to look for what's more probative. Before we get to even the discourse on reason and revelation, can you touch upon, you know, language and the importance of actually setting down the philosophy of language first before progressing into that. 
Edwards, I discussed this to some extent closer to the end of the book. I, I talk about nominalism, conceptualism, and realism, mm -hmm. and I talk about you know the fact that uh, uh, as affirmationists like uh, Hanbalis, uh, you know, affirmationists must uh, must be tuned. Uh, we have a responsibility, and I, I always talk about this uh, to my co uh, uh, uh or co-authors. Uh, in fact, I don't attach the, 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 uh, this particular aqidah to Hanbaris, uh because Hanbaris, as you mentioned uh, about Ibn al-Jawzi, for instance, don't come in one uh, size or one uh, color or orientation. Uh, in this respect, uh, nor does uh, nor do others uh, come in, in uh, basically one one orientation. So, like Ibn Abdul Bar is, uh, you know, I am more uh, pro like I am more like Ibn Abdul Bar in Aqidah than uh, than Ibn Al Jawzi. So Ibn Abdul Bar is closer uh, to me in Aqidah than Ibn Al Jawzi. So. Uh, you know, the partitions that we build, the compartments that we build, we just need to sort of uh, walk out of, of, the, of our compartments. So uh, anyway, it's not a Hanbari issue, but I to say to co-authorities, and that's why I called it Athari in the book, uh, that we have a responsibility since uh, whenever you are, you fall uh, uh, on one point of the spectrum, you, there will be people to your left and people to your right. And where I f see uh, myself positioned in this uh, sort of spectrum or this typology of uh, Muslim positions on uh, the issue of the names and attributes of the divine, which is not the only issue in Aqidah, but it's a major one. Um, uh, so as an uh, person who believes in ithbat or affirmation, I see the early Ash'aris to be immediately to my left, and I see the Karamites to be immediately to my right. Uh, and then extreme affirmationists, or that would not be called the affirmationists, but would be assimilationists, that would be farther away. Ash'aris, and then the Mu'tazila, and then you know, the Muslim philosophers, all of the different degrees uh, to my left. So uh, you know, people who believe in affirmation uh, by their uh, position on this spectrum, they have to be more careful when it comes to Tanzi. Uh, they have to first establish uh, Tanzi. They have to start with a very thick primer of Tanzi and then allow the sort of the rhetorical richness of the scriptures to flow unimpeded by intellectual uh, sort of uh, objections. So it, part of our tenzi is nominalism. Part of our tenzi is to talk about these names and what they mean. Uh, we all have to agree uh, that we have uh, like a, a difficult issue to uh, contend with here, and all Muslim theologians have tried to figure out a way, uh, well-intentioned, all of them, they were all well-intentioned, they tried to figure out a way. Now we have what Imam Taftazani, he must have read this, considers to be like, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, so many uh, uh, scriptural uh, evidences pointing to assimilation, what he considers to be pointing to assimilation, or at least the apparent language of them would uh, po point to uh, directionality, spatial locatedness, which means uh, to him assimilation. Uh, and we don't have this, basically, we don't have this uh, countered by uh, the scriptures anywhere. Uh, now, uh, we are all interested in making sure that the Muslims do not have an anthropomorphic conception of God like the image on the ceiling of uh, the Sistine Chapel yeah. in the Vatican. Of course, yeah. Uh, this one. It's got uh, supposedly God and David touching their hands, yeah. Or God and Adam, yeah. They have different depictions of God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this is the most sort of popular one. So we certainly, uh, none, of, none of us want to have this, not even as a tangible image in a drawing of fresco, mm -hmm. sculpture, etc., but even as a mental conception. And sometimes uh, even Ibn Taymiyyah talks about this, uh, that, that Muslim scholars never speak like this when the, uh, the Christians say, you say that God has hand God has hands and face and and um, you know shin or this and that and eyes and uh, and uh, you know etc uh, so Ibn Taymiyyah answers them and in answering the the Christians he says that none of the Muslim scholars speak in this way this composition, None of the Muslim scholars speaks in this way, and none should speak in this way. So if in a Friday sermon you should not be saying this because the cognitive synthesis that would result from this in the minds of people is reprehensible. Uh, so we say that, that you know, when we talk about uh, that language, we, we understand that the, the Quran used anthropocentric language because humanity is the audience. The Quran is using a language that has been developed by human beings. Uh, there is disagreement whether language, you know, originally uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Adam the names, but over time languages have been developed by human beings so this is a human sort of development inspired by god empowered by god but but it is a human thing so god used this language that denotes uh different things within the human experience that's why it's limited by our categories of thought limited by our experience to point to a realities that are completely beyond the apprehension of the human mind, the realities of the unseen, particularly God and the qualities of God. So we talk about nominalism. Nominalism is a, uh, a concept that they may have spoke of before William of Ockham. Uh, and nominalism means that there is no reality for those uh, names or terms, extra mental reality. 
because if we say that that this means assimilation, then we uh, are talking about uh, a realist uh, sort of uh, concept of language that there is a form, you know, the platonic forms, you know, fatness, handness, you know, this and that. So there is a real pattern uh, that inheres in the different in particulars, but we don't believe in this, and we don't believe that there is a, an extra mental reality uh, that's called capness or handness or this or that or faceness. Um, and these words would only acquire their meaning when they apply to the particulars. Uh, hmm. And uh, the, the whatever applies to seeing and, and sort of saman, basar, seeing and hearing, when we talk about commonality or we talk about what Ibn Taymiyyah called the Qadr al-Mushtarak, uh, this is the same thing. You know, the reason why Allah used uh, love, he, used, he wanted to use the word love, so we just adhere to this and we say that he loves uh, but we reject all the lawazim, we reject, and this is important also, we reject all uh, the uh, so-called necessary concomitants. Um, okay. You know, I have to tread carefully here because, I, you know, I, I want you to ask the questions. I will be clear and honest about what I think, but also I, I sure. do not want to exploit your generosity and kindness and sort of uh, propagate ideas on your platform. No, not not at all. I mean, uh, we're uh, alhamdulillah discussing this matter, and I think it's a it's actually a great example, and a lot of people are looking forward to this because uh, from for a lot of people, this is not so much of an intellectual issue. It's um, it's more of a type of battle or uh, they don't like to see this type of negativity between people and they'd be very happy to see someone like myself who I don't even claim to be from the uh, scholars uh, of Aqidah at all but just from the students of knowledge and I promote what I uh, have learned uh, of that and then someone like yourself that's known as a uh, authoritative figure in the ethity uh, school and I think they're very comforted the fact that we're able to just discuss this without uh, going off the rails. So I think inshallah it'll be very positive. Uh, my question is that the Quran came in the language of the Arab. So therefore the, the meanings of the words will have some precedent with them first before it came down uh, as a revelation. And so, therefore, it's very possible, and that's the whole point of lexicons, is to document how the Arabs used all of those words. And therefore, you could say, okay, this uh, shajara was used this, nejim was used in this way. And the evidence is how the Arabs used them, because this allows us to do, to really concretely say, hear the words of the Quran. This is what each word means, right? And the Qur'an itself is coming to speak in their language. So it's using these words. Now, uh, so just that uh, premise, is that premise, do you, is, it, is it acceptable or is it something that's different in the view of the authorities? 
No, it, it, it is a little bit different because the lexical definitions came after, you know, the time of the Sahaba and the linguistic conventions in the time of the Sahaba um, were, were a little bit different from the lexical definitions. And like, you know, if the lexical definition of Radab, for instance, uh, you know, talks about a state where there is boiling of the blood of the heart and so on, uh, we we don't have to concede to that. We don't have to agree that this is Radab, uh, you know, that, that this is what Radab would infer uh, in every context and with everyone. Uh, and the same applies to love. I mean, the lexical definition of love, we don't have to, we don't have to accept that. It, you see, Ghazali, when he talks about the al-irada, uh, and that's a discussion between Ibn Rushd and Ghazali, may Allah bestow mercy on them. He, when he talks about al-irada, uh, irada means what? Irada means will. And in the lexical definition, it, it is something that is based on gharad or interest. Uh, you have you are inclined to something because you have interest in it, and that is unacceptable. And then uh, uh, Imam Ghazali says, but but it it is revealed. It is part of the scripture, and uh, he does not he does not retreat from that. He, he how he will have to accept that there is a will, and and so on. And the Athari would basically expand the same uh, sort of concept uh, that hub also came in the scriptures and so we will not uh, basically um, we will we will, we will can affirm it uh, and we will not accept the concomitants and we will not accept the lexical all the sort of the lexical definition of the word yes so and uh, with those it's uh easier to understand those or to handle those ishkalat um, uh, because uh, we have other nusus, as you said, intertextual telling us that he is a summit he has no need, so therefore his love will be without a need or, and his irada will be without a need right? So, whereas the other mutashabihat they do have a, a connotation of limbness of being limbs which, of course, you, you, you establish the tenzi. And oftentimes when I speak to atheris, I just can't seem to get them to define a word. Right? It's like a, a, uh, when, you, when you hold on to something and it just keeps slipping out of your hand and you need to put it down. So what does this word, this word means X, Y, or Z. Right? Um, by not being able to put down a word, it is, seems to me that it's almost as if they have now uh, added a new definition to it, right? Which, for example, a, a limb that is a limb or a hand that is a limb uh, or that is a hand in the zahir sense of it or the affirmed sense, but not a limb, right? Whereas this such a thing does not has no precedent. So this is the logic that I'm coming with. Uh, such a definition of a hand with the zahir meaning of a hand, all right, the affirm meaning of a hand, but is not a limb. So that is something that it seems to be an inconsistency or seems to lack precedent, 
All right? Or be, you know, something that, where was, where did the Arabs, you know, use that? So if you can sort of clarify, you know, th that, that perspective. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and this is, I mean, if you, if you consider Bakalani to be Asari, <laughs> because, the, you know, that, that very sort of Asari uh, assertion is that Bakalani's and Ibn Forex and uh, Imam Abu Hassan as well. Mm. So all those great Imams that, uh, you know, the, their problem was never, had never, any, had never, never had anything to do with uh, the essential attributes or Sifat al they had an issue with the volitional attributes or Sifat al And can you define those for those listening that may not be aware what those terms are? You have uh, the difference of Sifat, uh, according to the Ashari classification, you have the Sifat al which are the essential attributes. Uh, you have a Sifat al-Salbiyya, which are sort of the... Uh, Negating attributes. Negated attributes. Surah mm -hmm. uh, means he has no sharik and qidam, he has no yep. beginning, yep. etc. And then you have a, a, a Sifat, a, the, the Sifat that are access, sort of the, the seven Sifat that are rational Sifat that are established by mm -hmm. And so far, these are khabariya, but not all the khabariya, not all the scriptural attributes uh, are affirmed. Uh, in the Athari school, they basically affirm all the scriptural attributes, including the yad and the face and so on. And that, that was certainly the position of Imam Abu Hassan al-Ashari and his, uh, mm -hmm. his uh, great uh, followers. Uh, uh, or, or the early Asharis in, in general. So I basically have, uh, so the, the best uh, argument put together in defense of uh, these attributes uh, is Imam Bakalani. Mm -hmm. So I, I use that, I use that in the book as well. Uh, and the, the the way he was talking about you know uh, why don't you prostrate to, to he uh, whom I created with my two hands and so on uh, clearly uh, talks he's talking about uh, the hands uh, you know mm. uh, without uh, consigning the meaning uh, he's affirming uh, the, the meaning of hands and uh, he says that there is no uh, need whatsoever to consider these to be limbs uh, mm -hmm. uh, because the, the language like when Ibn Abdul Barr talks about death coming to us uh, when coming, it, coming uh, about what? Death, death, death comes to oh, us uh -huh. yeah. uh, that does not necessarily mean spatial locatedness yes. or, yes. or moving from one place to another place yep that's a beautiful example. Uh, yeah. So when Allah says, and your Lord had come with the angels rank after rank, uh, um, why do we have to? Why do we have to be talking about movement and so on? Uh, also, Ibn Taymiyyah talks about the ruh uh, being described in the scriptures as uh, uh, powerful and. Uh, a hearing and uh, going up and coming down and that does not mean corporealism whatsoever or tajseem whatsoever. 
so when we talk about the hand in this case, uh, it certainly is not a limb uh, because we certainly uh, do not believe that God is composed of parts. Uh, the, the idea of Tarkib and Enqisam, composition and divisibility, we completely agree. Uh, God is, is not composed or divisible. Uh, so it is. it certainly uh, is not a limb, but the yet uh, basically infers agency. Sometimes it would uh, mean generosity. Sometimes it would mean uh, power. Sometimes it would mean control. Sometimes it would mean affability. Uh, so, you know, like handshaking and stuff like that. You're talking about that's what it can mean in the language or in the uh, nusus? In the, in the nusus. In the nusus, okay. And the language, both. Yeah. But instead of saying it means power, mm-hmm. here it means generosity, we just affirm yet and all of the agency that comes with this affirmation, knowing that this is not a part, knowing that nothing is like him, knowing that these not composed of parts are divisible, we accept it and accept all the agency that is felt by the heart when you hear the word Yadullah. And uh, then sometimes it would be generosity, it would be power, it would be this. But that rhetorical richness, Mm -hmm. I do not want to place a a barrier between that sort of effect and Mm -hmm. the heart of the believers. That's why earlier Sufis particularly, and I mentioned this in the book, you know, Masayikh like Al-Harawi and Jilani, I think it was their Sufism than their Hanbalism that made yeah. them particularly antagonistic to Allah. Yes, I mean that's a beautiful way to put it and uh, they have often said uh, read them with your heart and not with your mind these ayats because that's what they're meant for and this is what you would just expound it upon and what you expound it upon I don't what you just said I, I don't think that any of the um, you know you, negation of the parts negation of uh, the limbness, limbs, negation of spatial uh, movement. This is exactly what is in Imam al uh explanation in Sharh of Sahih Muslim, which I could read. I mean, I have it in front of me, but it's it's exactly that. منزه عن التجسيم والانتقال والتحيز في جهة عن سائر صفات المخلوق, which is that he is transcendent beyond the body, the movement, the displacement, and having a direct uh, uh, and other uh, contingent, uh, other qualities of contingent beings. Which Let me is, tell you one thing, yeah. you know, because we said that we're going to be mm-hmm. honest. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's fine. I, I, uh, I would not uh, basically negate uh, directionality, spatial locatedness, movement, and would not affirm it. I would take a non-committal position here because it did not come in the scriptures. And that is, you know, so that is a Taimian approach. 
for instance, we consider al-Khattabi, and because sometimes also, and, and that we, since we are being very honest with each other, sometimes also, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Messiah from the Ashari orientation or the Maturidi orientation allow a lot of latitude mm -hmm. within the Ashari and the Maturidi uh, school. But whenever there is a, a disagreement within the Athari school, generally speaking, they point this out as, you know, uh, he's not Athari and, and try to sort of, uh, is, uh, we feel it's a little patronizing or it's, it, it just, uh, you know, like Khattabi is not Athari. Well, Khattabi speaks very strongly uh, about, you know, Listiwa and very strongly about, you know, he's not everywhere because why would, like, he be on the throne if he's everywhere? So we, we say Al-Khattabi is not Athari. No, but Al-Khattabi uh, basically um, uh, denies uh, movement. Uh, the Darimi affirms uh, movement. Uh, we consider this all within the Athari scope because we consider them all uh, to be within the Athari school. Ibn Taymiyyah is in the middle of this school most of the time, uh, if not closer to the Ashari side at times, uh, but he takes a non-committal position. And why would Ibn Taymiyyah take a non-committal position and disagree? Like, uh, for instance, you find that Abu Khattab, for instance, uh, a, a great Hanbali, some people think that Abu Khattab would be closer to Um Fawud, uh, you know, consigning the meanings. And and if we can talk about this if you, if, if you want, in terms of Hanbali, Tafwidan, and the Hanbali Madhab. But when Abu Khattab, for instance, they ask him, قَالُوا مَا مَعْنَ اسْتِوَاهُ أَبِنْ لَنَا قُلْتُ هَذَا سُؤَالُ الْمُعْتَدِي قَالُوا فَأَنْتَ تَرَاهُ جِسْمًا قُلْ لَنَا قُلْتُ الْمُجَسِّمُ عِنْدَنَا كَالْمُلْحِدِي Yeah. So they said, uh, what, what is the meaning of istiwa? Uh, tell us. He, I, I said that this is, the, this is a question of uh, basically a wrongdoer, an aggressor. Mm. Uh, they said, then you believe that he is a body or corpus. You know, you believe in corporealism. You believe that he's jism. And Abu Khattab, Khattab said, al-mujassimu indana, qultu al-mujassimu indana kal-mulhidi. I said that the anthropomorphist or the corporealist, to be more accurate, is like the mulhid in in our book. Uh, you know, so uh, and al-had did not necessarily mean atheism, but 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 extreme departure from the truth uh, outside the fold of Islam. So Ibn Taymiyyah comes and takes a non-committal position in in all of these things. Why is this? Because he is philosophically schooled and his basically uh, mastery of philosophy made him more careful because uh, he's afraid of, he knows dialectics and he's afraid of the next step. Which is? He's, he's afraid of the next step. Like he's mm -hmm. afraid of the concomitants. He's afraid that, you know, if he uh, commits to an answer, he certainly believes in the indivisibility of God, that God is not composed. And he, he talks about this, and he talks, and he gives the example of a ruh and the movement of ruh and this and that. 
but he would not say, you know, when it comes to just with the high use, the directionality, corporealism, uh, spatial locatedness, spatial extent, he would take a non-committal position because he does not want to give an answer that would lead to someone pushing him into a corner. Uh, because of the, uh, like Aristotelian, for instance, uh, the categories of understanding, you know that there is Jawahar substance and Arad, accident. And if it is not mm -hmm. this, it is that. And that may be what pushed the Karamites to say that he is Jawhar, that he is substance, God, which is completely wrong of them. And we certainly do, do not accept that and do not, uh, you know, because they were afraid that if they say he's not, then he is Arad accident and nothing can be predicated of Arad. Things can only be predicated of Jawhar. And of the two uh, categories, which one is Ashraf or more noble? Uh, Jawhar is more noble than Harad. So, but we like uh, we we basically take a non-committal position when it comes to these things. There are certain things that we completely accept and we completely agree with, and there would not be much of a difference. In fact, I have a particular student who has been learning with me and learning with an Ashari uh, Sheikh uh, as well for several years. And he keeps on saying, I am putting my hair out. What is the difference between you? Uh, you know, certainly we both tell him there are differences, there are major differences. But again, he says, but at the end of the day, I am not seeing the difference. Yeah. Now, um, first of all, before we continue this, I really want to just emphasize how much I loved the perspective of the mutashabihat as being things that touch your heart, as you said, anthro-centric discourse, that it, they really do touch your heart. Now, setting aside uh, being in theology class, when you see hear Ayat, and I remember as a teenager, he's closer to you than your jugular vein, he descends in the last third of the night. You know, uh, pr provided a person doesn't really think twice about it, uh, in a you know sense, those are really moving uh, a hadith and ayat. Uh, you know, those. So that is the function. I didn't want to just pass over that. I wanted to emphasize it a second time because I really do think for the purpose of the divine revelation to us. Yes, it's ilm. It's of course it's knowledge and theology. This, but it's also nearness and love to the Creator. And I don't. I just did. I wanted to emphasize that again before we move on. But, uh, these are guardrail, sort of guardrail discussion. Yeah. This is not what will actually yeah. give you the energy to seek Allah Correct. Subhanahu Wa Taala. It is yeah. a different discourse, yeah. and I always say that you'll find this more in the Sufi or the Skia discourse than in the the theology class. Yeah. Now, now for Ibn Taymiyyah, that not wanting to take a position for that reason that you mentioned, but also not taking a position could also open a door to another. Uh, it could also open another door. For example, not taking a position on the spatial existence of God that He exists in space, in a space, or in a direction. But is not all space the creation? Would that, would the non-committal statement or position 
allow for somebody to say, well, maybe, maybe not. God could exist inside of his creation because all space is the makhluk. Right? And only matter can exist in space. So I don't, even though, either, even though it's not some explicit, but there are, uh, w- wouldn't there be ayats that make it ex- clear that he would not be dependent upon his creation nor be inside of it? How about, Kana walam yakun ma'ahu shay, the hadith, uh, or uh, there, he existed and there was nothing. And then the principles, wahua mazala kamakan. So the question is, is not space a creation? So how can he be in it? Well, the, the, the idea here is the, the spatial locatedness uh, comes from tahayus. Uh, I guess that this is how we translate tahayus, and directionality is jiha. So, they, you know, people who uh, refuse, they took a non-committal stance and refused to say yes or no, they were running away from that very thing, which is God being inside his creation. So when when Abdullah ibn Mubarak and it is reported from Abdullah ibn Mubarak that he said lahu had and Ibn Taymiyyah reflected on this and he said that those who said that did not mean that Allah is limited by an a spatial extent had means spatial extent they just wanted to to say that he's not in his creation, he's not separated from his creation, not inside his creation. So that is why they said, had not to say that he's limited uh, by a, a spatial extent, but uh, basically say that he's not part of the, you know, of this uh, existence which would lead to pantheism in their thought. Yeah, which is why I had mentioned earlier the concept of God, uh, of refutation of Trinity, is, you know, one of our simple responses, that God cannot exist inside, does not exist inside of his creation because this reflects a need, being Jesus, the person of Jesus, the body of Jesus. By extension, Anything of the creation that would apply to anything of the creation, okay. So that if a Christian was to say, "Okay, you prove to me that right, God does not exist inside of a human being because that's a need," right? But then you're not—you don't want to commit and say that He doesn't exist inside of His universe. We are saying He's not inside His universe. But so that is a negation of spatial existence, existence in a space, or. In, or even in a direction. Means it depends on what you mean by spatial locatedness. Like when we say, for instance, uh, you know, when we talk about directionality in our law, uh, people say that this means jiha, and uh, jiha uh, means uh, tahayus, and tahayus means cor- uh, tatsim, corporeal corporealism, and tatsim yeah. means yeah. produce. Uh, origination. We don't accept all the concomitants. Ibn Rushdie did not accept the concomitants. He's the commentator. So if these are rational, uh, basically uh, uh, necessary concomitants, you know, the commentator, you know, the commentator because he uh, wrote commentaries on Aristotle, uh, 
it should be a rational person, and he did not accept them as necessary uh, concomitants. So uh, the, the idea of uh, Tahayus, we do not, uh, the, space here is being defined as this universe. When we talk about aboveness, we're not saying jihad, we're just saying aboveness. So you, someone can say, well, well I'm going to pull mm -hmm. out my hair. Mm -hmm. Why are, how come or no, mm -hmm. is not jihad? Mm -hmm. uh, I, am, I am just adhering to the scriptures and I am not inferring, well, our has to be jihad in my personal experience, in my empirical experience. Well, our is jihad. I'm not talking about my empirical experience. I'm talking about a completely different paradigm a completely different language game. Wittgenstein would call it a completely different mm -hmm. language game. So, uh, does not mean jihad. Uh, you could say that a girl on the opposite side, you know, the girl who pointed upwards to the heavens to the Prophet and said, Fissama, uh, a girl on the opposite side of the earth could be pointing to the mm -hmm. other direction and saying, Fissama. Mm -hmm. Correct. I have no problem with this because I'm just saying allo. That is allo for her, for for the one on this side. That is allo for the one on that side, uh, and that completely ends the, 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 the sort of the, that notion of jihad. Uh, but again, uh, it, it, when it comes to jihad, the scriptures don't speak of this. Therefore, I abstain. I refrain. So. Um it seems that your position may be different from what many people commonly experience, which is a type of persistence in making sure that people understand he is above the throne as if this is a, 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 a like one of the, you know, it's a point to be emphasized. It sounds like your position is different from that. You simply would want to abstain from uh, the commentary, whereas... I think that a lot of people would say that their experience in the discor discourse, especially the common discourse and the Dawah-related discourse, is a little bit of the opposite. It's uh, bringing this issue up, right, and and making it something that must be stated, right. As a person, I have always had sort of moderate allegiance uh, to all people uh, you know my my ultimate mm -hmm. allegiance is to Allah and his messenger and to the scriptures and Sahaba mm -hmm. and so on uh, I have moderate allegiance to all people I have no antagonism no animosity I uh, I don't you know had I heard had I lived during the time of uh, Imam Joani, for instance, I may have loved him more than Imam Taymiyyah, like as a person. It, it is not, you know, when people when people talk about these issues, study these issues, uh, debate uh, over these issues, it's like soccer matches, and they should not be yeah. uh, at all. Yeah. We should have love and respect for all people, disagree on love, but. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Honestly speaking, I disagree with this approach. Uh, I don't mm. condemn the people. I just disagree with them. And sometimes I uh, say that this actually could be dangerous uh, and mm -hmm. sometimes is reckless. 
so you know, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah himself says that this composition, this way of speaking, uh, you know, when you say Allah has hand, and Allah has face, and Allah, and so on, no Muslim scholar is speaking this mm -hmm. way because the, because of the cognitive synthesis that would happen from speaking in this way. And I repeatedly say that uh, for us, measure the exposure yeah. of the public, of the yeah. masses, talk to them about things that will bring them closer to God. Risala for Ibn Abi Zayd al-Qayrawani, al-Tahawiyya, al-Fiqh al-Akbar al-Abi Hanifa. But anyway, Tahawiyya. Teach Tahawiyya without getting into the technicalities. Now you will have a theology class get into the technicalities because if we leave a void, it will be filled by all kinds of philosophies. If we do not make sure that we arm our like sort of theologians with a sophisticated discourse, and a sophisticated discourse will not be able to steer clear of controversy in a loving environment, in a respectful environment, uh, without exposing the masses to this discourse that will confuse them and that will take away from their iman or their faith, not add to it. Many people ask, uh, well, the Qur'an is supposed to be clear, and the Qur'an tells us that it is a clear, a, a clear book. Uh, and yet, uh, there are these mutashabihat. Why? Why does these ayat come in? And a number of people have asked me, I'm sure they asked you this too, uh, that seems to have maybe have a divisive result, right? And an unclear matter. Well, one of the things that I was taught is that the answer to this really comes in one ayah and one hadith. And that Allah Himself has created, has has placed these this matter as a type of test to clarify and to separate between two categories of scholars, and that is from the ayah, "وَالَّذِي أَنْزَلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ مِنْهُ آيَاتٌ مُحْكَمَاتٌ هُنَّ أُمُّ الْكِتَابِ وَأُخَرُ مُتَشَابِهَاتٌ فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ زَيْغٌ" that's the first category, the, those in whose hearts. So he says, this book has been revealed with clear ayats. They're the foundations of the book. And others, it's unclear. Well, why would a book say it's clear and then intentionally place why? Uh, to, to separate between the first group, in their hearts is a crookedness. They will persist to dig at those blind spots and those ambiguous, debatable matters. They will continue to persist and uh, like uh, picking at a little fester in your skin. They seek to, they love the fight. Like you said, they, it's not a soccer match. Sometimes it's a, you know, sometimes, and I have, you know, Sheikh Ahmed Matwali is your, one of your students and he's in the masjid and we have fiqhi chess matches all the time. Really for fun, after Aisha, right? It's uh, uh, Many people think we're arguing. We're not arguing. We actually enjoy the fiqhi discussions. So, this is different though. This is ibtigha al-fitna. They want to see MMA 
uh, theological MMA. وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ That's the second category. The firmly established in knowledge. يَقُولُونَ آمَنَّ بِهِ كُلٌّ مِنْ عِنْدِي رَبِّنَا وَمَا يَذَّكَّرُ إِلَّا أُلُوا الْأَلْبَابِ So this mutashabihat have been placed in the Qur'an as a test and a simple way to see if a person, if a preacher or a scholar or a teacher has a leaning and has a desire for fights or is he rasikh fil ilm and then we have the hadith as you as you know very well the sahih hadith uh, the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to aisha idha ra'aytum alladhina yattabi'una ma tashabaha minhu faulaika alladhina samahum allah fahdharuhum if you see those people who pick and pick away at the different upon the mutashabihat the ambiguous or vague matters okay or the unclear matters those are the people Allah named in that other verse. So stay away from them. So this gives us a very simple answer to why this is, is, exists, which is it is a manner, it's a, it's a way to immediately say, stay away from that individual. What do you think of this framework of understanding of the mutashabihat? Yeah, I think it 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 depends to a large extent on um, depends to a large extent on intentions and context uh, circumstances because there are a lot of circumstantial variables. Uh, certainly, a lot of people, uh, you know, it first it is intention. You know, if people have a loss. Uh, they'll be rewarded whether they were uh, right or wrong. We uh, were told by the Prophet So when you opine on a matter, if you're qualified, then you opine on a matter uh, after due diligence, it's uh, after due diligence. Uh, and you're wrong, you'll be rewarded once. If you're right, you'll be rewarded twice. So. Uh, many times people were pushed into this. Like, uh, for instance, you know, Imam Abu Hassan al Ashari, he was pushed into uh, this discourse by the contentions raised by the Mu'tazila. The Mu'tazila felt that they were pushed into this discourse by the contentions raised by the philosophers. When Muslims, you know, the Islam. Uh, reached from Andalusia to China within a very short period of time. When Ibn Muqaffa uh, translated all of Aristotle's works, and that was very early on, 120 to 140 after the Hijra, this is the time where Aristotle's works have been translated, and many uh, people have become exposed to this, and people have become exposed also to Christian apologists uh, who were philosophers uh, to a great extent. And you know, Christian philosophers have been very assertive uh, into philosophy to defend because they felt that their theology is uh, somewhat complicated that really requires a lot of mental effort to defend yeah. uh, the Trinity. Um, so Muslims were exposed to this. The Mu'tazila felt that you know they have to uh, basically live up to their responsibility mm -hmm. and defend Islam. 
uh, the Ash'aris, uh, they, <laughs> they felt the same way. The early Ash'aris, the other Ash'aris. Uh, I, I honestly, you know, people people talk to me about, for instance, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, whom I consider to be Shaykh al-Islam and consider to be uh, like a mujtahid mutlaq, muntasib, combined. Uh, we, can, you know, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, but uh, but people tell me, and people from the Ashari and Matariri orientation and from other orientations uh, tell me that he was very polemical. Uh, he, he, and this is a, an uncontextualized reading of uh, someone that people really need to spend time learning about. Uh, I would recommend Abu Zahra's book, Sheikh Abu Zahra is Ashari, an Ashari. And he wrote a book on Ibn Taymiyyah. People should 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 learn about a person that his opponent said we've not seen anything like this, you know, for 400 years or so. And at the same time, you're hearing all of this about him. Uh, well, if if you know that he was born just five years after the fall of Baghdad, uh, the the Crusaders were still there. They left in 693. Uh, the, 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 there were a lot of Shia elements that were fighting with the Tatars, and many fought, fought uh, you know, uh, the, the Sunnis and the assassins who used to assassinate Sunni figures and so on and so forth. So he wrote a seven-volume book to answer the Christians. Uh, that's polemics, but, uh, you know, uh, he felt that this is wajib al-waqt, that this is what is binding on him at this time. Uh, he wrote a nine-book, uh, basically, uh, a nine-volume book to uh, basically refute the Shias, uh, because Ibn Mutahar al-Halli wrote a book to refute Sunnism. So mm. he, he basically, you could say that he, why would he write an 11-volume book to the, the refute uh, the universal law of al-Razi and his Ashari orientation, when uh, some people, when he himself respected Imam Ashari a lot, uh, to the extent, to the point that you find certain Mashaikh nowadays who say that Ibn Taymiyyah was Ashari, who told you Salaf. Uh, but but he he he, uh, you know, polemics. Uh, and why why was he somewhat aggressive with certain people, not uh, Imam al-Hassan, not uh, Imam al-Baqillani, because he felt that this sort of patronizing, uh, like when when you read Mafatih al-Ghaiba by Imam al-Razi, uh, and, and you know, you, you find a lot of, you know, Salafis would avoid saying Imam al-Razi, Ashari's would avoid saying Imam al-Taymiyyah, and I, I, I think that this whole thing is, uh, it's just a little uh, weak. Uh, but you'll find in Mufatih al-Qaybul Imam al-Razi, when he speaks about uh, Muhammad ibn Khuzayma, Muhammad ibn Ishaq ibn Khuzayma, you know, he says he says very colorful things about him. He calls his book Kitab al-Tawheed, he calls it Kitab al-Shirk, and he calls him, you know, many, many things that are very offensive. So for someone like Ibn Taymiyyah ibn Khuzayma, one of the Muhammadun al-Arba' that the Shafi'is would consider mujtahid mutlaq, but they still would count them as Shafi'is because because of how great they were, Tabari and him and Ibn al-Munzir and Marwazi. Uh, 
And they, they call him Imam al-A'imma, and that's not only Ibn Taymiyyah who calls him Imam al-A'imma, Tajuddin al-Subki calls him Imam al-A'imma, and, and uh, he basically reached the pinnacle in, in terms of his knowledge of the Qur'an and Sunnah. So that in, environment, uh, it, it, uh, the fact that someone like this would be uh, spoken of in this way, he felt that Atharis well need authorities have been saying uh, have been staying away from engaging uh, with kalam engaging with rational uh, theology and he felt that this is not working because it seems that authorities were losing ground for two two three hundred years before him uh, so, so he took it on himself to basically defend uh, the sort of what he believed to be the Athari Aqidah uh, through uh, rational theology. So it, it is all about the times. It's all about the times. Yet he himself uh, was very, very friendly and warm at a personal level with his fellow Ash'aris, uh, and I would not say fellow Sufis, because he was to a great extent a Sufi, uh, but, but but with his fellow uh, Ash'aris, yeah. uh, very, very warm, loving relationship at a personal level, and there are, you know, countless stories. So it depends on the context. Uh, would would he be writing the same books now? Would he be focusing on the same issues now? Would he or or different issues? I would say different issues, uh, not the same issues. The times are different, and the wajibat al waqt are different, and. Uh, you know the, the 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 spread of atheism in Egypt in the last ten years uh, is unprecedented. It's scary, actually. Uh, yeah. You're talking about a country that is at the heart of the Muslim world, mm -hmm. uh, and if if you're if we're going to pick up fights over you know. Uh, Spatial locatedness. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. It's it's yeah incomprehensible. It's so, uh, and when people say, "Oh, well, it's part of the deen," but I, I I agree with you that there is a triaging, and you're a medical physician, and of course, triaging is you know the rule number one in the ERs that you know someone's coming in with a heart attack, another coming in with a broken ankle. Uh, there's going to be obviously a major difference in the priorities, the the time given to each subject. So I totally agree with that. Uh, you mentioned the Sufis, so I want to take this chance as a segue to our final chapter. Yeah.